0: And we welcome you in to the Dog Bowl in Berea. This is episode four of the best podcast available. And it is time to preview the 2020 NFL Combine. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Brown Senior Staff Writer Andrew Gribble. And Gribbs, it is finally here. The annual trek to Indianapolis. Good food, Kilroy's, and oh, by the way, the NFL Scouting Combine.
1: Yeah, and it's, for a lot of us Combine veterans, I mean, th- this will be my, like, eighth in a row and stating <laughs> back to my time uh, covering the SEC. And this is going to be a-, a wrench into the system because the NF- the Combine has gone big time. And it, it-, it already g- had gone big time these last few years, When you- especially when you talk to coaches about what this thing used to be like and just how casual everything used to be. I mean, now the whole day is changed to cater to TV, which I understand. I mean, this is... You don't want to have a premium product airing on a Saturday morning, which is what it has. And sure. And for the NFL – And the biggest you, day was Saturday The morning. NFL wants to, to have an event every month where they have big eyes on them, and the, the combine is what it is for late February, early March for the NFL. So from a TV standpoint, this all made sense. That's why this thing's gone to primetime for Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday into Sunday. Uh, it's just – it totally changes things from people like us where now we're waking up really early – to talk to these guys at 8 a.m uh, start time for all these players which actually is better because I, I like getting it all knocked out instead of waiting eight hours to talk to half the guys you want to talk to but uh, and then everything happens at night so I, I almost wonder how the staffs navigate this this kind of situation because they're used they're, they're used to doing something completely different and managing their days because there's so much more that these guys are doing beyond watching these guys on the field. Because, honestly, they don't need to be there for that. It's all the air set that they need to be in Indianapolis
0: for. Well, the interviews, they've expanded from 15 minutes to 18 minutes, but they've cut back on the number of guys, 60 to 45. Yeah. So, I mean, you you really have to know who you're going to be talking to. And and you really – you've got to whittle that list down, and there's a lot of guys at the NFL Combine. And uh, it it will be interesting to see. It's going to be early mornings, and it's going to be late nights. Because yeah. you do a lot of networking, and you 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 talk to scouts, you talk to coaches, you talk, you know, at, at nighttime, at dinners, you run into guys, and it, it's getting information. It's getting stuff from players' agents mm. uh, about uh, potential players, current players on rosters, and r- players, you know, that are going to be drafted potentially by your football team. And now – you're going to have nighttime workouts so where does all that fit into play uh before this is all said and yeah
1: done? i think all the the coaches and everyone they know they know what the deal is though i mean this is this is part of being in the the big business of the nfl so you're going to have to adjust to that schedule because i don't think there's any you're not going to convince the people to make big tv decisions that this needs to go back because it ruins our you know the day to day i was going to you say. know so it's just it, it this is, this is the way it's going to be and now you have even more exposure for the combine, I, and I, I do wonder. We haven't heard all. all this really does come down to is quarterback workouts, and and sometimes the whoever, whatever position group, maybe it's DBs or other ones that run the fastest 40s. Those are the ones that are going to get the most eyeballs. I do wonder if, say, Joe Burrow decides not to throw. We haven't heard either way if he's going to. You lose him, and you're not going to have two out there. So that 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 hurt that hurts the. The, the appeal of the event uh, an, an ideal time would have been to do this a couple years ago when you had all those quarterbacks at the top of the
0: draft yeah that, and, that, and all worked out
1: done really well in its debut but y- y- you go with the hand you got it's a good draft class i hope people are digging into all the offensive tackle footage that, that we will be breaking down so i hope they get <laughs> i hope they get just as excited about that stuff uh, as we are going to have to be because uh, i mean it, you just can't find anyone talking about the Browns at the number 10 pick and not talking about a tackle. All
0: right, coming up on today's podcast, it is our Combine Preview Show. Uh, we'll be joined by the special teams coach of your Cleveland Browns, Mike Preefer. He sat down with Gribbs and with Nathan Zagura, who makes his 2020 BPA debut. So we get to know a little bit about the process that he takes uh, when it comes to looking at various players and getting ready for the draft and, and – a little bit about how he worked you know worked out the Scottish hammer and some of those uh, little tidbits from last year's draft in finding two rookie kickers that were highly successful for this football team in addition former Browns offensive lineman John Greco will join us to talk about his combine experience we did this last year you did a great thing with Joe Thomas Uh, And it was a nice little insight into what players go through, the mindset you have to have, not just from the combine, but all the way through to the draft. And it's one of those things where what's his advice for the guys coming out in this year's draft? So a lot to get to on this week's best podcast available. Uh, you said it. You've been covering this eight years now. You've been to eight of these. Is there a memory that stands out? Is there anything that stands out from uh, prior uh, NFL combines? Yeah,
1: from a media perspective, I don't think it gets any weirder or bigger than the the Manti Te'o press conference. <laughs> I think that was Boy, that was that. that was a big deal, and that was so strange, and the the types of questions he was getting asked i mean they were all over the map i mean it was it was a ru- it was where the combine used to be in the con- basically the concourse of Lucas Oil and it was just a full room of people and it was really his first time to face the music on the entire thing and it was it was kind of tough to sit through i mean as someone who i I'd, I'd know i didn't have to do anything with it uh i actually was covering alabama that year and his last game happened against alabama and he wasn't very good in it so maybe for his sake he didn't have to answer any questions about that it was all about the other stuff but uh, yeah that was definitely the most bizarre thing. I, I I will put second most bizarre thing that's happened nothing that we saw firsthand but uh the the Reuben Foster stuff from a couple years ago at the combine. Then he just got booted.
0: <laughs> he was <laughs> there left. one day and yeah. the next day he was
1: gone. Yeah, that, there was some kind of uh conflict or something that that went down with that. Yeah. So that was that was a strange combine happening. I mean it, it's it, it it is kind of it, it, uh, all this stuff kind of runs together because it, it, it becomes a big deal for that moment and then you kind of move on. I mean, the, the Manti Taylor thing was big when it happened, but then once that guy got in the NFL, uh, people didn't really talk about him more, uh, much anymore. He was just kind of an average linebacker. And, and so this is the the big moment. Maybe a, a third place was when uh, Mitch, Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky was going to potentially go by Mitchell and a name tag. That was a that was an odd time to to debut that. It was kind of an unfortunate <laughs> circumstance for him because I don't think he was asking for that. They just kind of put that on his name card. So you, you always have little things here and there. Uh, but the fact that you always have thousands of media members that are covering every step of the way. I mean, that's where it, it 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 is interesting. But I think the the other side of it is when you have the media session with just the college players. That's when you get like the diehards in there that are asking these guys like. Stuff that's way over my head, like fits in offensive schemes. What you did here, here, and here. I mean, that's where it—that's where the nitty-gritty is. But the big NFL news that's going to come all Tuesday when every coach and GM is
0: talking. Though. Yeah. Speaking of gauntlets, uh, we're looking at 64 guys essentially, unless you have a team that has just a, a coach. Maybe coaches, like the Coaches Patriots. can
1: choose not to do it. Yeah. I, I think Bill Belichick and Peyton, Sean Payton have chosen not to do this media session before, so you don't. It's not mandatory. Correct. Strongly encouraged frowned upon if you don't but no I know
0: our two guys will be talking yes so Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski will talk um I do want to get your thoughts on what happened meet the coordinator day was this week here in Berea uh, we were able to finally get a chance to talk to Alex Van Pelt and Joe Woods also to Mike Preefer. uh your takeaways from Van Pelt and from Woods
1: well, I mean, there was very little surprises on my end because I've already t- I talked to a lot of these guys at length, and especially with Prefer. He said a lot of the same things he did did with me. I, I, I appreciate I'll start with Prefer because we talked to him later, and he elaborates on this in the interview. Is just he is he is frank, I think, in assessing. He knows that this team very much improved on special teams last year. There's no denying that. I think he's proud of that. I also think it's interesting and in how just uh, flat out he lays it out. This team wasn't good enough for turning kicks and punts. And to me – as much as this was kind of a combined effort with the coverage units and the returners, this to me wonders if we're talking about a special team's point of focus going into the combine, I start looking at guys who can be potential returners for this team. Because I don't know if you have your – I don't know if your kickoff returner or punt returner uh, is on this team yet for the season. So that's that's an area where if you're looking for potential if, – if you're going to draft someone that is that their best thing to do, you're probably looking at day three uh, so that's where I think he's trying to identify who can best maximize uh, the, his improved special teams and make more of these kickoff and punt returns. Because, you know, even though the, the the units didn't turn the ball over, which is a, a, a victory compared to previous years of the Browns, you only really had one memorable good return the entire season, and that was Dontrell Hilliards against the Seahawks to open, open the game. So you, you got to do more with that. He's not using the new kickoff rules as an excuse. So I, I would look at for a special teams perspective, identifying a return man. And I think he's he's gone over and over again on that topic. Alex Van Pelt, to me, the transparency in which he discussed the potential uh, areas of improvement with Baker Mayfield I thought was very interesting going sure. into details about the footwork. And I think the transparency with the identity of this Browns offense, I think he's pretty it's pretty clear laying it out what this team's going to be all about. Uh, and I think that's good news for Nick Chubb, good news for Kareem Hunt, uh, and I think good news for your wide receivers because if you look at both what Stefanski did uh, in in Minnesota and what uh, you know what this team was good at last year, you don't necessarily look at big time production out of more than two receivers. You look at Diggs, Thielen. That that's what essentially might, you might be looking at for Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. And then the Baker Mayfield stuff was really interesting. Just working on footwork out of the shotgun, identifying areas in which he can improve, and knowing that the skill set is in there where they can get more out of him. And you look back at last year as kind of an aberration.
0: Well, and he also said, I'm not worried about the play calling. We'll, we'll figure that out as we go. I think it's they're still feeling things out. And I, I think on that coaching staff, they're getting to know each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and figuring out who's going to be the best fit to do that. But I, I don't see a lot of egos in that room. And I think whoever is calling plays are going to be – everybody else is going to be pretty – comfortable with who's in charge of doing it.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a good reflection on Kevin Stefans- Stefanski looking at that offensive coaching staff because you've got a, two of the biggest figures in the, on that offensive staff are guys he's really never coached with, and I think that shows that he went out trying to get the best possible people uh, for the group. But there are two people who obviously respect him, but they've never worked alongside him with both Alex Van Pelt and Bill Callahan, and then you have some familiar faces with Chad O'Shea uh, and and and, and, other, and Drew Petzing, who he worked with in, in Minnesota. So it's a, it's a good mixed group where you're not just bringing in all the guys you know. You're bringing in trying to bring in the best possible minds. And I think Van Pelt jumping at this opportunity uh, with the ability to be a coordinator but not being guaranteed that he was going to call plays, I think is – and he's doing it with a head coach that he's never worked with. I think that's a good sign for how this job uh, appealed to, to coaches outside the
0: organization. And Joe Woods?
1: Yeah, very good. It just it, uh, obviously an affable guy. You guys had him on CBD. Uh, earlier on Wednesday and I I thought he's 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 someone that I think he comes from winning I think you need that that winning pedigree that he was just with the 49ers he knows how how it's done he won in Den won a Super Bowl in Denver uh he I, I like that he's adjusting basically his scheme to fit the personnel because I don't think anyone was going to want to go through a 3-4 switch and us talking ourselves into Miles Garrett, the outside linebacker, for an entire no. offseason. No. So I think that's good, even though it, it sounds like he can do both. He might be even more well-versed in the 3-4 based on what he did uh, in Denver. But uh, I think it was it was clear to me in a couple of his – Answers. He's he was being really cautious and talking about guys because it, it, he he realizes he's only been on the job for a couple of weeks. Some of these offensive guys have been here much longer. He was busy coaching in a Super Bowl. His staff is is finally finalized. I think the last addition being Brandon Lynch, uh, the assistant defensive backs coach. Uh, but the the one thing I'll go back to with what he said in his interview with me was the one lesson he might have learned in Denver when he was a coordinator there that he's going to apply here was he thought he took too much of a big-picture look as a coordinator and left his comfort zone a little bit too much, left the DBs, the defensive backs, an area where he's strong at. He left that maybe a go more than he was comfortable with. Now I think he's going to be more involved. So you have him, Jeff Howard, and Brandon Lynch really involved with your defensive backfield that barring what you do in free agency and the draft is going to have a much different look with what you're doing at
0: safety. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it. His job right now is to look at guys that there's a question about, yeah you know those are the first priorities, yeah, I mean, someone asked him about Mac Wilson, and he said, i've looked I've watched a little bit of Mac, but I know Mac's gonna be here, yeah, so i I'm not <laughs> I, I I gotta figure out what else we have here, and guys that may or may not be here figure out if they want him or don't want him. yeah,
1: and I think that defensively you're you got a big decision at each area of the field, and I think you've already made one. With T.J. Carey, he's no longer here. But defensive line, it's a decision involving Olivier Vernon going into a, a, a big year for him. Linebacker, it's Joe Schobert, DBs, Demarius Randall. I mean, those are three big players on this defense on whether or not you have the option to bring back or not. And, you know, that those are decisions that will be made in the coming months that I'm sure Joe Woods is going to be consulted on. But ultimately, those are decisions that are, are made above him, and he has to work with what he's got and adjust,
0: uh, adjust accordingly. All right, so coming up, we will talk to uh, former Browns offensive lineman John Greco about his combine experiences, his advice to the guys going through that process and those experiences this year. That comes up uh, in just a few minutes. But first and foremost, Mike Prefer. Uh, you can make a movie about the guy's life, I feel like. Andrew Gribble and Nathan Zagura had a chance to sit down with Priefer after uh, Meet the Coordinator Day concluded. We're going to throw to that interview, and then we'll rejoin you on the other side with John Greco. Enjoy it on the best podcast available. Thanks, Gibbs. Very happy to be joined by one of our good friends, special
2: teams coordinator, Mike Prefer. And coach, listen, when regimes change, there's sometimes not a lot of holdover. Three coaches stay (laughs) from last year's staff, two of them. Special teams, you and Doug Coleman, your assistant there. Right. Obviously, you have some history with Kevin Stefanski. So when you heard he got the job, kind of how did that all go down that resulted in what I could tell you all Browns fans are happy with, and so are we, that you are still here as a special teams coordinator. You know, I'm very
3: fortunate, obviously, that uh, we're still here. Our guys played hard for us on teams last year. I think that had a lot to do with it. I think if we would have played poorly or if we would have been disorganized and had a bunch of penalties and just didn't do well overall, I don't think it would have been. it would have been hard for Kevin to keep. Uh, myself and Doug around but I thought we played hard our guys did a good job for us we got better every week we improved um you know from the beginning either to the end of the year so I'm excited about you know where we're at and uh you know when Kevin got the job obviously I was very uh very pleased um I believe if Kevin would have got the job a year ago I would have gone with him because uh, you know we, we talked about before my contract sure. had run out in Minnesota I was looking for looking for a place to go and and uh, you know it just so happens that you know Freddie hired me and, and uh, you know I can't really pinpoint all the things that went wrong or what went wrong uh, specifically but you know at the end of the day it, it was sad to see some good people go the good people that sure. left our staff you know good friends of mine and you know Freddie was good to me John was good to me and but like you said there's a new regime um, you know I'm excited about the future of our team I think we got a lot of talent on our team we got a lot of talented coaches that we've hired and and I think Kevin did a good job of assembling our staff, and I'm really excited to be a part of it.
2: What's something that you learned about Kevin when you guys were together in Minnesota that you think will serve him well, as he's kind of really risen the ranks now to a head coach in the NFL? Yeah, it's
3: funny. When I got there, I think he was quality control. And then he became you know, an assistant, uh, I think, with tight ends and then running backs. And I might have the, the order messed up. And then quarterbacks and then offensive coordinator. And you know, every step of the way, you just saw him take on a new challenge. And, and I thought he did a great job. He's very poised. He's very confident. He's very humble. Uh, works extremely hard, um, good head on his shoulders, very intelligent. I don't think Pen, uh, Penn is as good a school as uh, the U.S. Naval Academy, but at the end of the day, I think he's got <laughs> a good a education. Um, yeah, but, I mean, he, he's, uh, he's well, well-groomed. He's prepared for this, and, and I know he's been preparing for this his whole career, and now he's got a shot, and I hope to help him win a lot of games here.
1: Now, you made the decision to come back uh, pretty early in this whole process, and, and Kevin uh, announced that. What's it been like seeing the staff kind of come together even in these last few days as the defensive staff's getting rounded
3: out? You know, last year, obviously being one of the newer guys, you know, we, we came in, I came in, and it was, uh, you know, a little bit different deal. You know, I had to learn the whole team. I had to learn the rest of the guys on the staff, and, and I had to hire an assistant, and so the, there was a lot more going on. this year, you know, we ended the year like we normally end the year. We evaluated our team. Uh, Doug and I did a lot of work on on where we need to go and and evaluating what we did schematically. And so we were ahead of the game where we were a year ago. Um, And then seeing the new staff and the new guys coming in, they're scrambling, trying to to look at our team and and to learn our defense and offensive personnel. And a lot of them have asked me and picked my brain a little bit about what I've thought about our players and our locker room and the chemistry and what we need, you know, where we need to go from here. So it's a little different perspective, you know, been here for a year. Um, But, you know, I like our staff. I think we got a bunch of good guys that are good people, that are good football coaches,
2: and we're ready to roll. And you've, you know, the staff, you look through at the connections that are everywhere. And I know mm-hmm. you have some connections with this staff, if you could share for the the listeners. Because it is, there's a, people have touched, a lot of people have touched each other at different times, different right. organizations in their careers to make it to this point to be the 2020 Clean Brown staff.
3: Sure. Well, like, like we said, like you said, Nathan, um, I've known Kevin since 2011. We, we were together eight years at Minnesota and and uh, Joe Woods was there at the time. So I was with Joe for three years and Jeff Howard, I think for five years and, and, um, you know, obviously Doug was with me last year or so in Stump. And, um, you know, I think there's a, a, a lot of connections from the San Francisco staff with Joe and, and bringing in uh, Chris. And, and then, of course, he knew Jason. He's worked with Jason before Jason Tarver. So there's a lot of different connections. I'm sure I'm missing a few in there, but there's so many. I'm trying yeah. to focus on, on getting ready for the combine. And uh, so I'm watching a lot of tape and, and, and uh, being prepared for that.
1: What what goes into it? Uh, what, what's different about going into a second season with the same team, same kind of personnel than it was maybe last year when you come in and just trying to install a, a kind of a brand new message for those? Well, guys. the
3: exciting thing for me, um, Andrew, is that you know we have a new kicker and a new punter. I mean, obviously they they got a year under their belt and it's different than a year ago. Um, I thought they came in and you know had to beat out two very good players and they did, and I think they excelled and they got better. And, and um, like I've told you guys and the media before, you know, and our fans before around here. Um, that those guys are just scratching the surface. They're going to be very, very good, and, and there's a there's reason to hope and reason to believe that we're going to continue to improve at the punter and kicker position, and I think our returners did a good job last year. I think we have a lot of room to grow there, whether we bring in new people or get the guys better that we already have. I think that's going to be my challenge is to find the right guys, find the right mixture, the right chemistry, and work with Andrew and Kevin and, and get the best guys in here.
2: So when you get ready for a combine, you said you've been watching a lot of tape. Right. What what does that entail? And you mentioned you've got your kicker and your punter, so that's a little bit different, that that's maybe something. Of course, you're going to be aware of who's out there, but not something that has to be a focus. I would imagine as a special teams coordinator, you have to watch all the linebackers, all the safeties, watch all these different people because those are the guys that are ultimately going to end up with you on special teams, especially early in their careers.
3: Sure, absolutely. Um, I will be there for the whole week um, and I'm going to get as many informal interviews uh, uh, accomplished that I can. And obviously all the kickers, the three kickers, the seven punters, the two snappers, will interview them. We always have to have a list ready, even though we think we have our, the right guys uh, at the, at the uh, snapper, kicker and, and punter positions. Uh, we always have to evaluate everybody sure. who's out there. You know, if we one of them turns an ankle, something happens, they got to miss a week or two. And there's a guy on the street ready. You know, did I interview him last year? Did I interview him two years ago? What did he? You know, how did he do? Where has he been? He comes in for a workout. I already have a relationship with these guys. And I think that helps. Um, I think my main focus this year will be obviously continue to help the bottom end of the roster and in, in terms of the like the positions you said, Nathan, the safeties, the linebackers, the defensive ends, tight ends, running backs, fullbacks, uh, getting those guys. Um, uh, help us, you know, cornerbacks, of course, and, and getting them to help us win a lot of games on special teams like they did this year at times. Um, and then I think the other main focus would be the returners yep. position. We really, I'm hitting those hard right now. I've got all the specialists uh, ready, the twelve guys that are going to the combine are ready to go with those guys and I'm about halfway through the returner list and I'll finish that up this week and be ready for the combine.
2: What do you look for in a returner? Because obviously that was the one thing mm-hmm. I think everybody and you've said, you know, our coverage was I think excellent, both mm-hmm. punts and kickoffs, some of the best in the NFL, but you didn't get the big plays you wanted right. out of the return game. So what is it that you're looking for in a returner? And what do you as a special team coordinator think about having a guy who's that's that's his job. Some of the best to do it were, yeah, wide receiver hybrids, but they were truly returners
3: sure um yeah I've coached a bunch of different types the big strong kickoff returners like a Cordero Patterson and a smaller you know uh quicker guy like Marcus Sherrills and then last year we had uh Dontrell Hilliard and Dearness Johnson step up for us and did a nice job Taviar Thomas did a little bit for us um you know I think uh Jarvis Landry had a few returns for us on punt return so at the end of the day what I'm looking for is a guy that's courageous punt return let's talk punt return first a courageous catch the ball in the crowd he's got great tracking techniques which means he can get to the spot uh no brother it's over his head is it in front of him is it left is it right uh can he get to that spot under control Uh how are his, his uh catching mechanics his elbows his eyes his, his uh his stance you know how wide is his base all those little things that we teach me, we may not see that a lot on college tape because they're not being coached that as much because there are so many other things that a college coach has to do with recruiting and coaching a position and all that. So obviously it's my job uh, uh, to help coach these returners up. So you know, at the end of the day, the, um, you know, we're looking for tracking mechanics, looking for catching mechanics, we're looking for courage. We're looking for speed, explosiveness, quickness. Can you make that first guy miss? Um, how big is he? How strong is he? Can you break the arm tackles? Uh, what kind of decisions does he make? You can. I I don't just watch the returns. I watch the ones that hit the ground. How does he react? The fair catches, um, the, the inside the 50, You know, inside the 20 type punts. How does he react? Does he bluff? Does he fair catch too early? Uh, does he catch the ball at the two-yard line because he has no awareness? Those are all the type of things I'm looking for, and I'm taking notes on all these guys and then ranking them, comparing them, and kind of going from there.
2: So you mentioned, so that's a film aspect. You also mm-hmm. said you want to do a bunch of informal interviews. Absolutely. What is the number one thing you're trying to understand when you get a chance to, to sit down with somebody? Can I
3: tell in 50 minutes if a guy loves football that's my main focus if a guy loves the game and he's a good enough player to play in this league we got a shot if he likes the f- if he talks about money if he talks about fame if he talks about glory if he talks about just about him as a person in terms of uh, his accomplishments and maybe a little selfish in that regard um, I'm looking for a team guy that loves the game of football if you got a team guy that loves the game of football and they're good enough to play in this league you know we're gonna have a pretty good player on our hands
1: I'll ask you to kind of go back in time a little bit. Where were Austin and Jamie on your radar at this time last year?
3: Um, I knew a lot about Austin, had already evaluated him. I thought he was the one of the top two kickers. He and Matt Gay from Utah were the top two kickers going into the combine. Coming out of the combine, I thought the same thing. I knew both of them would be drafted. I uh, did not know much about Jamie prior to the combine. After the combine, I watched him on tape. Uh, personal guys said you need to go down and work him out after we saw him at the Zoner workout. He did a great job at the Zoner workout, which is coming up. I think in the second uh, second week in March maybe. Mm-hmm. So it really was kind of maybe about six weeks part of the, the draft when we finally started really looking at Jamie. And then I went down and worked him out down in Pine Bluff and had a great workout, great interview. And you know, he came up here on a top 30 visit and he said, hey, we're going to take a chance with this kid as a free agent and the sky's the limit.
2: Is that one of the stories that, and because I know that the coaching circles are very mm. tight, that the other special teams coordinators are like, man, I can't believe you guys mm. found Sky guy, and look at what what you've done. Was that one that other coordinators get excited about? Because I'm sure that's that's the story. That's what you're looking for. Sure,
3: well, a couple guys have said that to me. But, you know, they didn't really know much about him, and you know, I didn't either. And and it was our personal guys last year that said, hey, we think we got one here. Why don't you go down and check him out? And and I did, and it was uh, uh, obviously a trip that was well worth it, and I enjoyed myself down there. They got a great coaching staff, a good bunch of guys, and. And obviously, Jamie uh, did a good job for us. And I like his mentality. I like his attitude. Um, I texted him the other day. He was in Scotland visiting his grandmother. and He hadn't seen her in a couple years. So uh, I just, these young guys keep me young. They'll drive me crazy. They'll keep me young, that's (laughs) for sure.
1: What are some things you can see in players while you're watching them on film, even if they don't do a lot of special teams in college because they're maybe some of the star players on their teams? What are some qualities you look for maybe for those kind of those core team guys out
3: there? Uh, Toughness. I'm yeah. you know, looking for physical toughness. You don't know mentally tough if they can re- uh, rebound from a tough game or a tough series. Um, I'm looking for if they're disciplined, if they're like a linebacker. Is he going to be in his gap? I don't know exactly what they're taught all the time, but I can tell a little bit. I know enough about defense that I can tell if he's in his gap or not. Does he take chances? Does he turn his head uh, when he's tackling? How does he tackle? Um, you know, How does he change direction? How does he flip his hips? Like I'm talking about defensive player. Obviously a running back um, vision looking for vision as a returner or a running back a receiver. How does he run after a catch? Does he have good hands? Is he courageous? Will he go over the middle? Will he, he make those tough plays? So there's a lot of different factors at a lot of different positions that I look for that can translate over to special teams.
2: What are you hoping to see at the combine when you evaluate these people, or is it more for you about the interview as opposed to maybe the measurables and seeing them run or seeing them move?
3: Yeah, I'd like seeing them move and run a little bit and work out um, in person because you see more than you would on tape. Um, I also like to see him uh, to respond to adversity. Like if a guy has a bad rep, and I say a linebacker is a bad rep through the bags or whatever, and I'm kind of watching him, and it's, how does he react? What's his body language like? You know, can I get to know him a little bit that way? And of course, the interviews, that's probably, for me, that's the biggest thing, because the rest of the stuff you can evaluate off tape. You can get all the measurables. I don't even sit there and time him. I just watch, and somebody else might have it, or they'll put it up on the screen. But he ran the 40, and I might jot it down for my own reference. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit there and time every guy because that's there's thousands of guys doing that at the combine.
2: Is there a speed that you want, like in your mind, when you say for a returner, I want them to be able to hit this speed, or because it's not necessarily straight line, right? You're veering and cutting and, yeah. Can and all you, of that. The big
3: thing we talk about is is uh, on a kickoff as a kickoff returner or a punt returner. Do they make moves on the move? In other words, is he covering ground and changing direction at the same time? If he's got to stop and change direction, stop, change direction. He's not. That's not the kind of guy you want. You want a guy that can avoid, that can break tackles, that can make moves on the move. That, you know, that kind of the quickness that he has. He can make people miss in a phone booth. You've heard that term yeah. before. Uh, those are the type of guys, especially as a punt returner, that you're looking for.
1: What is the biggest change you've seen at the combine since you started coaching?
3: Um, I think now the schedule is going to be a big change for oh, us. Yeah.
1: Um,
3: I think the the media and how the coverage, the TV. I mean, my first combine was two thousand two. So this is what my uh nineteenth combine. Wow, I feel that makes me feel old. <laughs> um, but you know, I've been going every year for nineteen years and I think the the biggest thing is the last several years is that the NFL network and, and putting everything on T V and all the media and all the coverage that it has and I mean the NFL Combine beats, you know, sometimes playoff basketball. I mean, it's unbelievable the coverage that it has. So it's just it's a tribute to our league and, and you know, what the NFL, the league has done and and what, you know, you guys do to promote the game and to promote the good things in the game, which is always
2: fun. All right, I want to get a little, just kind of a little veer here. Uh Uh-oh. The XFL has a pretty interesting kickoff rule Mm -hmm. and setup, and I don't know how much you've watched that, but as you know, the NFL is constantly looking to evolve kickoffs, and we've talked about this, you know, with some of the NFL rules, but Mm -hmm. basically what they do is they put the kickoff, the guy kicking the balls in the same spot he would be for us, Mm -hmm the coverage team starts at the other team's 35 mm-hmm. the blockers i think are either at their own 25 or own 30. I so saw the a picture very short. It, yeah i haven't seen it though okay. and it's actually led to some cool returns mm-hmm. there's you don't have the necessarily the high impact but you know as you see this game evolve and obviously the special team coordinator kicks and punts are going to always be very very important to you mm-hmm. how do you kind of maybe see that evolving um
3: you know, some of that stuff is gadgets. I'm not really into gadgets. I'm kind of an old school type guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was the one that was I was really upset when they outlawed the wedge. So in well, I'm sure in you were 2011 <laughs> because we were good at it. Um, <coughs> excuse me, but at, you know, at the end of the day, it's um, some of the stuff. The safety. I'm always I'm always for safety. Always for safety. So the way we coach, the way we teach blocking, the way we teach tackling, the way we teach taking on a block, block separation, talk keeping the head out of the game as much as we can. So I like the game evolving from the uh, training and, and coaching and teaching aspect of it rather than throwing out new rules and doing sure. this, that, or the other. The big thing I think we're going to look at this year is the success rate of the onside kicks, which is so low right now. Uh, we may have to do something a little bit differently because when you don't get a running start you know, at the 34-yard line and you only have five guys over there, it's hard to get onside kicks. And, and I think one of the things we're going to have to figure out is try – you know maybe tweak it a little bit that where a certain situation you can say, okay, we're going to onside kick it here. So you can use a different formation or you can have more of a running start or, and then if you don't kick the onside kick, then you get penalized, whatever the case may be. I mean, it's one of the rules I would suggest that, you know, we kind of make a change or tweak that you can Let's have, give you a, a well, you have a chance. We have better than an 8% chance. It used to be like 24, 25%, whatever. Now it's like eight or 9%, which is obviously not very high. And I don't even know the exact, uh, the exact percentage, um, I just know that it's very difficult to get. And I think, you know, that's really the only problem I have uh, is the success rate of the onside kick. Everything else, the kickoff, kickoff return, um, I think the rules have changed, have helped, and and the concussions have gone down the last year since we tweaked the rule or changed the rule. And I kind of like where we're at right now going in that direction.
2: Do you think we'll ever see somebody be able to do on a consistent basis what Devin Hester was able to do ever again?
3: Um, Well, Devin, it was unique. I mean, Devin's a Hall of Famer in my book. just no. with
2: the rule, it almost seems like with the rule chains, there's so many more faster guys that are on the field, that it, it's yeah. harder to get as many of those big returns. You just around the league, you just don't see them as much as you did maybe in that kind of.
3: But if yeah, well, you don't get as many opportunities because there's you know too many guys with touchbacks. I mean, you have the kickers now; they're like, okay, we're not kicking to Devin. I wouldn't <laughs> want to kick to Devin. Sure. I mean, I was kicking with Ryan Longwell from the 30-yard line. Ryan tried his best, but he was an older guy that couldn't you know kick touchbacks a lot indoors. It was easier, but outdoors it was tough. At Chicago, at obviously at Chicago, or or when we played him at home trying to kick touchbacks but at the end of the day um, I think you know when we had Cordero Patterson we put him nine deep in the end zone and we brought everything out and you know, we didn't care now touchbacks are at the 20 back then so maybe it's a little bit more of a factor you know if you got to the 18 or 19 or 20 yard line obviously it's a loss of five six seven yards so you know when you have that type of return you're going to take more opportunities you're going to take it out of the end zone you're scare a lot of people and when you play in Cleveland Ohio or Cincinnati, ohio or pittsburgh pennsylvania or baltimore maryland you're going to have a lot of wind and weather and you can't always kick touchbacks so that's why i'm excited about being an outdoor venue an outdoor stadium and our division's all outdoors and uh so sometimes you're going to have to kick so we get a good well we get a good returner here we go and i know we're going to cover well so you know we're going to get a good returner in here and or continue growing the guys that we have here and getting them better and and uh then we'll take advantage of that situation
0: (laughs) Special thanks to Nathan Zagura for making his debut on the BPA for 2020. Andrew Gribble as well with some outstanding work. Uh, Coach Pref, uh, no shortage of opinions on things and feels pretty strongly about where his game is and where his team is from a special team standpoint. Obviously knows that he's got to take that next step here in 2020.
1: Yeah, and, and I know he hasn't tuned into the XFL yet. Maybe he will this Clearly. weekend, but you, you better believe that uh, there are people in this organization watching these games because remember last year how many AAF guys were on the 90-man roster by the time uh, training camp began. I think the playing level is a little bit higher in the XFL than the AAF, so I'm, I'm sure based on some of these guys' contract situations, I don't know if they're able to leave the XFL for the NFL. But I it, don't know. I, I think that they there could be some guys that filling out some training camps, especially that one quarterback. Was it PJ Walker? He's good. He's made a name for himself. Yeah, he'll he'll have a job yeah. in August. So I, I think a lot of these guys could be guys that Mike Prefer could be getting to know as potential special teams options uh, in 2020.
0: Yeah, indeed, and we appreciate coaches' time. As always, uh, all the coaches right now super busy just trying to get ready for the NFL Combine. We go to the hotline. You see the picture up behind us, the one and only John Greco, former Browns offensive lineman and uh, a gentleman – who we wanted to bring on here on our NFL Combine Preview Show to talk about his Combine experiences, to talk about what he went through, to talk about the whole draft process and all that encompasses that for a, for a player. Uh, I don't want to call you a kid when you're getting that process because you're an adult, but, John, it is it is a whirlwind tour, and basically your first time off – after your college football season ends is the following year when the NFL season ends and your rookie year ends. So talk a little bit, what's that process like leading up to the NFL Combine? What was it like for you as you got ready to leave college and go on to the NFL?
4: You know, for me, it was, like you said, kind of a whirlwind where, you know, you really don't have any time off. You're going through all these uncharted waters, and, you know, really the only people that are giving you any kind of guidance are whether it's former teammates or, or friends that are in the NFL that can kind of give you some advice or if you have a mentor, which, which I didn't necessarily have, and then you really have your agents and then, you know, your parents. So, you know, you're going through things and you're training. You know, I, I went down to Florida and I did the, uh, you know, pre-combine training where, you know, really that you're in the best shape of your life. You're, you're on a set diet regimen where they give you all of your meals, you know, your, um, pre-workouts and your post-workout shakes and, you know, you're working out twice a day, you know, and you're really strict on it. And, and you could definitely see the results because you're, you know, you're, you're taking these tests at the combine, these physical tests, and you're training for the bench, you're training for the 40 and all the, all the things that go into those things, your start, your stride, your finish. And, you know, I know for offensive line, it wasn't, uh, you know, the 40 wasn't going to blow anyone away. But, you know, it was important to try to get a couple extra reps on your bench press. And anything you could to pad your stats to make yourself look, to make your product look that much better for these teams.
1: Yeah, John, I was going to ask how many times after the combine did you do some of those things? Like when how many times did you run a 40 <laughs> after the combine? And how many times did you try to bench that? I mean, how how especially for an offensive lineman? How how ridiculous is maybe some of the stuff that you have to do that you end up never having to do for the rest of your career?
4: I mean, the the 40, the vert, you know, all of that is ridiculous. It's it's answered question zero. And unless I was betting a guy that I can run a faster 40 or, or race a guy and uh, I never, I've not I've yet to run a forty since since the combine. And you know, as far as the benching, I you know, I, I think it is a good test because it is, it it does test um you know endurance as as well as power, because you know two twenty five is is light for a lot of guys, especially big guys. So they want to see your endurance. They you know what I was always told for that is. You know, you really can't screw that up unless you unless you do under maybe twenty. If you're like a guy that does like, you know, twelve to fifteen, that's going to raise a red flag. Uh, offensive linemen should do more than that, and then really anything after that, anything over that, is just gets the scouts and teams and GMs excited if if you just uh, you know stack up your numbers. But to answer your question, not one time. But I think the on-field work, the uh, the drills that you do with you know, the different offensive line coaches and then, and then your peers, the other guys that are going through with you. You know, you did the mirror drill. You do the three-cone. Some of the quick agility, the footwork things, uh, you know, I thought that translated because it was more realistic drill things. You know, you're not out there blocking guys and driving them down. But, you know, it really got to have you out there and do kind of O-line-specific footwork, uh, which I think carries over.
1: John, do you remember your bench, bench reps or, or 40 times?
4: I did, yeah, I had 30 bench reps. My combine 40 was like a 5'3", and then at my pro day at Toledo, I uh, ran a one, which, you know, maybe a little bit generous uh, stopwatches there uh, <laughs> at the old alma mater, um, but it was, it was a different uh, running surface, too, so I think that helped. But, you know, that's the thing, they take your fastest time, and, and it's official at your pro day, so... Uh, I you know I, I have it down in the
1: books as a five one. Yeah, the, the combine time was five point two nine according to Pro Football Reference.
0: That's so pretty that's good. Not I
1: mean, that's the that's be- not bad. the bench reps are up there too. I mean, those are among the best uh, of anyone there. So that's that's good. Now, yeah, and I'll really ask you, at this stage in the draft process, did you have any sense that you would be a third round pick, which you ended up being, a, or when did that did it come into focus after the combine?
4: So, you know, as you're going into it, your agent's talking with you, and he's like, look, you know, they have they have you graded anywhere between second and fifth, and you're like, okay, well, th- that's obviously a huge difference. So you kind of go into it. You do your you do the drills at the combine. You're there for that whole couple days, and it's it's really just kind of a, like I said earlier, I used the, the word uh, whirlwind, because you're being poked and prodded, and you're up on stage, and you're you know, your underwear, and you get all these guys looking at you, and you're doing your weight, and your body fat, and all that. And it's, it's nerve-wracking, you know. And But the nice thing is you're doing it with other guys that are going through the same thing, and you always have that camaraderie. Um, you, you know, but but it is kind of a thing where you're just like, at the same time, this is a little ridiculous, but I felt good about my numbers when I, when I left Indianapolis, um, you know, going into my pro day. And I chose not to bench my pro day, but I thought that I could better my 40 a little bit. Uh, which I did. So I was I was happy about that. And then at that point there, you're like, listen, you know, I told myself these these coaches saw everything they needed to see on, on my college tape. They could see that I can run and move and not fall on my face when I'm trying to do drills. So at that point I did all I needed to do.
0: Before the combine, had your agent heard any interest or were there, in, what interested in there in you was there? And then after the Combine, did things pick up? And, and talk about those next steps uh, immediately after the Combine and after your pro day.
4: Okay, so after all that, you know, you do a couple workouts. I, I remember working out with uh, for a couple teams. Actually, I think just two. I, I remember New England worked me out. And, uh, you know, a long-time offensive line coach Dante Skronecki came to Toledo and worked me out. I remember it was really cold and At that point, I would taken a few weeks off, Um, so uh, you know I kind of went back and we—he and I were on the field, and it's just—it's just you and the coach, and he's—he's making me run like a hundred different drills, and I was exhausted. So you know he then he takes me in the classroom and we did some things, and then he's like, "Okay, thank you." There was no feedback, no nothing, just you know, good luck to you. So I'm just like, man, you know, you you know, you're always trying to analyze, like, what does that mean? Um, but I took some visits. Uh, I remember going up to Minnesota. I did do a visit to St. Louis, where I ultimately got drafted. Um, so you do a couple of visits, and you're just kind of waiting to hear from your agent, that, you know he, he's kind of keeping you calm and, and you know remaining positive because you're excited going through the whole thing. And uh, but the the you know really the idea remained the same. It was kind of like that second through fourth or fifth, which like I said is a is a huge difference because. Uh, when I got drafted, that was um, I can't remember if it was the first year where they changed it and they did first and second round on the first night and then they did all the other rounds the next day. I think they I think that was the the first year of them doing that. So it was, it was a little bit different and nerve wracking, but at the end of the day, you know, I was the uh, I think the first or second pick on that on that second day, and uh, it, it was great because we woke up, found out, and then it was just like we celebrated the rest of the day.
1: Now, John, did you know going into the Combine that you were not going to be a tackle in the NFL? And was that a thing that was realized at the Combine? And and what are those conversations like with those teams where you're talking about playing a different position?
4: So it was kind of a mixed bag. I I met with some teams at the Combine just kind of in in those uh, one-on-one meetings or group-setting meetings. There were meetings where I had, I remember with the Colts, it was just a sports psychologist. So, you know, that... that, uh, Gal was talking to me about different things that were totally unrelated to football. So it was kind of unique to see what different teams' their meeting styles were. Some teams you met with the head coach, some teams you met with the offensive line coach, some teams you met with the whole offensive staff. But, like, you know, getting back to your question, there were certain teams that said, you know, we see as a tackle, uh, probably a right tackle. Uh, and then there were teams that said, you know, we, we see you more bumping the inside. Are you comfortable with that? And of course, you say, oh, absolutely, I'm 100 I'm percent comfortable with that. Even though I probably wasn't at the time, <laughs> but you know, you're you're telling them whatever you need to do to try to uh, make yourself look good. But yeah, so I think each team had kind of a different vision, uh, no matter where they had you on the board.
1: What's what's a uh, one question that every team asks? Like that, the, the guys go in the combine. What do they need to be prepared to answer?
4: Man, you know, I think it's I think it's different no matter where you play. Uh, for me, it, it was, you know, how how do you see yourself? Um, be, be, you know, are, are you prepared for a different level of competition? Uh, I think that was kind of the the common theme that I got. I don't know if it, like if a guy plays at you know LSU or a team that sees you know an NFL caliber defensive lineman. Each week I don't know if they're actually getting that question
0: so giving the Mac it, no love no love yeah
4: I, that, that's the thing I you know the Mac didn't didn't have a lot of love with the defensive line uh, even though now there's a little bit more guys that are uh, rolling around in the league but that was the main one I was getting it just just are you are you prepared are you you know and, and I don't know if it was kind of a mentally mental thing they were trying to test you but I you know I, I just said you know hey listen I'm ready to dominate whoever's in front of me and help the team win
0: what uh, did you have a roommate at the combine? I I know that there was a time where they were they would pair people up. Did you did you have a uh, roommate horror story?
4: I did. I, it wasn't a horror story, but he was a kicker, and I don't remember where he was from. But Wait, you got I paired remember, with a kicker. I got paired with a kicker, so I, I show up and I was kind of happy because those guys. I, I think they went like the day or two before offensive line. I think they get those guys out of the way. So he was, like, like he was he was leaving and I, as I was coming. So, you know, I knew he, Kicker, he was quiet. I, he didn't, I didn't have to worry about him bothering me and messing up my sleep. But, guys, to be honest, that, that whole experience was, uh, you know, looking back, I kind of laughed because, you know, you don't really know what to expect outside of just kind of rumors of what people tell you. And you get in there and you're so nervous and you're, you're trained for so much. And, you know, you might not put up the time you want or the number that you want. And, like, you're beating yourself up about it. And then at the end of the day, none of it really matters. Is it, is two-tenths of a second on your three-cone going to drop you, you know, nine spots in the draft or, or make a team not want to pick you? I, I don't know. But for me, I, I kind of sit back and laugh about it now. But no, no real horror stories with the roommates. I just remember kind of joking with, you know, all the offensive linemen in front of me and everything and, and in the line because, you
1: know you're like cattle, especially in that weight room. Yeah, John, John. Obviously, offensive tackle is going to be a big point of emphasis for the for the Browns going into this combine. And I'm just wondering, for people that get to watch this at home uh, during prime time hours, what what are things they need to be watching with these offensive tackles? Because obviously, it's not going to be the forty time, but just things. What 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 things can help these guys vault their stock or or maybe put them put themselves in a position to be with the Browns?
4: You know, for, for tackles in the offensive uh, line room, especially in this combine, you know, like I said earlier, their tape speaks for itself. But somebody that can separate themselves, I think the way they meet, if they can grasp things behind the scenes, because when you meet with these teams, these offensive line coaches, they might have you on a, on a dry erase board and they might draw up, you know, a basic protection that they do. And they, they could tell you, okay, hey, listen, if we're doing – if we're doing this, and the running back has the Mike linebacker, you have the Sam linebacker, and he draws up a little bit, a little blitz. They want to see how quickly you can conceptualize that concept, and if you can adjust things on a chalkboard. And I remember them doing that to me, and I was able to handle it. So a lot of guys want to see if you can grasp, grasp, uh, grasp it mentally, because if you're talking these, uh, you know, high-rated draft picks, these guys that are, you know, pro- you know, projected in the first, second round. They're gifted athletically, so nothing that they're going to be able to do, they're not going to be able to do anything on the field that's going to, I don't think, in my opinion, make or break them. Uh, but it's going to be somebody that wows you in the in the uh, meeting rooms and the interviews, and you know, does what they're expected to do on the field, put up a good bench press, you know, run and look good, look athletic, look you know, quick and play with low you know low uh, shoulders and and good bend in the knee and you know, these guys go crazy for long arms. And that was a big knock on me, but uh, you know, I, I just look if I'm a fan and I'm thinking, you know, tackle, I'm looking at a guy and when they show the little clips of him from his college career, you want to see somebody nasty. You want to see somebody that's, you know, really holding guys out and squeezing hard when they're pass protecting and having good technique and leverage in the run game. Cause that's what everyone's looking for.
0: John, we appreciate the time today. I, I, love talking to you as always and uh, appreciate hearing about the experiences and what you went through and it's definitely an intimidating time for uh for a 21 22 year old you know adult young adult coming up and hopefully trying to make a career out of playing in the national football league and if you get to do it you were one of them and we appreciate the time as always and uh, we'll definitely be talking with you a little bit closer to the draft and hearing you on Cleveland Browns Daily during the month of March and uh, again, around the draft time as well. I think you'll be part of our draft coverage, so we're looking forward to it and we appreciate your time today.
4: I appreciate that, guys. It's good to talk with you again and I look forward to uh, being up there in a again.
0: All right, John, take care. Special thanks to John Greco for his time. Always some uh, some good stories. I, I know Gerard Cherry at ESPN Cleveland had a great story about the combine. He had a terrible combine. It cost him a first round grade, and he dropped to the second round simply because he had uh, he had a roommate that snored nonstop <laughs> for three straight days, and he could not sleep at all. He ended up sleeping like in the hallway. And, and so I, it's always interesting to see how that goes because from the moment you touch down in Indianapolis you are on the clock and it is a whirlwind and the next thing you know you're on a plane back home.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Two of the best, two of the best players in this team had the most opposite combat experiences. One being Miles Garrett went there and just like was a blew everyone out of yeah. the water with his just crazy athleticism. Number 1 pick locked it locked it down. Jarvis Landry was a hugely productive wide receiver at LSU thought he might be going in the first round. Ran a bad forty, ended up going late in the second round. Like that's and it's crazy because it obviously was so meaningless. He's had a great career, most receptions ever by by a player in their first six years in their career. But that that's where this thing. That's why we pay so much attention to the combine because it does have an effect uh, on where you end up going. I remember last year, DK Metcalf. Everyone thought he had that amazing combine, but then it was shown that his quickness wasn't all that good, and he goes late second round. Yeah, exactly. So and a
0: shirtless Pete Carroll. Yeah, set the trend. <laughs> Can't ever get that visual out of no. my head. All right, that's going to wrap up our combine preview. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we come to you live from Indianapolis. We'll have a number of guests lined up, and uh, we'll, maybe we bring you more than one. Maybe there's a little bonus, you know, podcast thrown in no, we'll, at some point. See. Depending on time. Everything depends on what's going on with the schedule and people's availability. So we are looking forward to coming to you live from Indianapolis next week and the 2020 NFL Combine. I want to thank Mike Prefer for his time. I want to thank John Greco for his time. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Make sure you log on to ClevelandBrowns.com or wherever you get your podcast. Catch up on all podcasts of our draft podcasts, otherwise known as the best podcast available. We've had Kevin Stefanski on. We've had Matt Miller from the Bleacher Report, draft guru. And uh, uh, sure to come, a number of other people as we count down to April 23rd. It's 23rd, right?
1: Yeah, I just Sure. It's, it's a late Thursday. It's, a, in, it's into, like the uh, last Thursday in April.
0: I know what I'm doing. We'll get Not that. really. Yeah, it's April 23rd. I knew I had that right. All right, we'll take the victory lap. Uh, For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the best podcast available.